0: Next time, we'll just blink the lights. (laughs) You guys are having a great time. I like that. So it is just human nature to hide things. You know what that's like. You hide things you don't like about yourself. We hide things that we don't want other people to know about. We hide things that we've done wrong. That's just human nature. We hide stuff. Apparently, it's also canine nature. Watch this video. Who's hungry? Who needs a sandwich? I got one right there for you. So it's human nature to hide things, canine nature, whatever. We all know what it's like to hide things. We talk about that, we're talking about transparency. We're talking about how much do I show you about myself? It's not a good or a bad thing. There's just, in fact, you know, there's a certain level of, of transparency that's too much. I have a friend who never ever shut the bathroom door when he went to the bathroom. That's a level of transparency no one needs. Notice I said I had a friend, right? <laughs> There's some things you just don't need to share with everybody. Transparency is not always the great thing. You ever seen somebody post something on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and you go, oh, I don't think I would have shared that? Yeah, sometimes transparency can be a little bit too much. So we, we know sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes we hide things because we want to control what other people think about us. We want to influence, like, I, I, if I say this or if I don't say this, you may or may not like me. So we, we try to present the best possible version of ourselves to people. Sometimes it can go a little too far, and we're trying to present a version of ourselves that manipulates other people. You don't want to do that, because that takes you to the other arena beyond transparency, like how much do I share with you about myself, is authenticity. What I tell you about me, is it true? Is it accurate? Is it uh, a good representation of who I am, really? Or am I putting on a face to, to try to get something out of you or to make you think something about me that may or may not be true? Authenticity like the guy who was applying for life insurance. Have you ever done that? You know that you have to fill out a questionnaire. They want to know a lot about you to see what kind of a, a risk level you are. So this guy who's applying for it's talking to an insurance agent and who it says, I've got to ask you some questions. Tell me about your dad. Uh, how old is your dad? To which the guy applying for insurance said, oh, my dad passed away. And the insurance agent said, I'm sorry to hear that. How old was he? Oh, he was 43. Oh, wow. What did he die of? Oh, he had a heart attack. So the agent writes all this down. Okay, tell me about your mom. Oh, she passed away, too. Oh, wow, how old was she? Well, she was 41. Whoa, what, what did she die of? Oh, she had cancer. The agent stopped, and he looked at the guy, and then he took the application and just ripped it up. Like, you are too high a risk. There's not a company out there I can find that will underwrite you. So guy, okay. Guy goes to another insurance agent, sits down, same questions, tell me about your dad. Uh, well, he's no longer with us. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How old was he when he died? 93. <laughs> oh, what did he die of? Uh, mountain climbing accident, <laughs> big into that. Oh, well, tell me about your mom. Well, she passed away, too. Oh, well, how old was she? 91 years old. Okay, well, what did she die of? Um, giving birth to my little sister? <laughs> you know, there, there's something about being authentic and being real about who you actually are, isn't there? You know? We, we do this thing where we present something that may or may not be true about us. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal. There's a great article just a little while back. It talked about the growth of athletic apparel, people wearing workout clothes. You see it all the time. People wear yoga pants. Yoga apparel, like Lululemon, sales have gone up 45%. Do you know how much actual participation in yoga has gone up? 5%. A whole lot of people wearing the clothes and not doing the thing. Like I've seen this myself. I was REI. I was buying some backpacking clothes, and I pulled some stuff off the rack. I'm like... I would never wear this on the trail. It would last five minutes. It would just fall apart. And they're like, yeah, we have hiking clothes, and then we have hiking clothes for people who want to look like they hike. You would never actually wear it on the trail. It's like, Okay, so back to the Wall Street Journal article. One girl was quoted, and she said, you know, when you put your workout clothes on, you think, huh, I might think about working out today. <laughs> Which then you may ask the question, who cares if I want to present myself to the world as somebody who works out? What's, what's wrong with that if that's the image that I want to portray? I guess on that level, there's not really a a whole lot wrong with it, but is that a habit of our lives to present an image of ourselves that's not really truly an accurate representation of who we are? You may want to think about this. There's, There's much more at stake here than just deceiving people. Jesus talked a lot about this. The opposite of authenticity is actually hypocrisy. Jesus reserved some of his strongest teachings and some of his boldest warnings for people that he described as hypocrites. And I think we would do well to embrace and to listen to what Jesus says. We're a church of people who want to take Jesus' teaching seriously. So let's dig in. We've been going through his story. So we're in chapter 7 today. If you read it, you saw some of this teaching that we're going to dig into. If you don't have a copy of his story, that's okay. You can go ahead and turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 7. Pull it up on your smartphone app. If you do have a copy of his story, we're on page 114. And we're looking at what Jesus trained his disciples, and this is one of the important teachings that he gives about authenticity. And Keeping this in context, Jesus has been teaching and preaching for over two years now, and he's really starting to narrow in on his closest circle of followers as he teaches what's really important. So let's go ahead and dig into this. We're just going to go through Mark chapter 7, or just start on page 114 in his story. We're going to go through there. And so verse 1 of Mark 7 one day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Uh-oh, let's just stop there. Context. The bigwigs from Jerusalem have come up north to Galilee to see Jesus and to see for themselves what he's teaching. Let me just put this into context for us in words that we would understand. That would be like being here, I'm getting ready to preach, and Rick Warren and Pope Francis and maybe Billy Graham And all of my Bible college professors walk in, and they're going to sit right here in the front row, and they're going to make sure that what we're doing here is is okay. In your world, it'd be like showing up to work one morning, and there's a bunch of white vans, and there are people with FBI on the back of their jacket and people with IRS on the back of their jacket walking out of your office with computers and boxes of files. This is not good. So these guys, these bigwigs, these Pharisees and teachers of the law show up to listen to Jesus teach. Verse 2, these Pharisees and teachers, they notice some of Jesus' disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Okay, what does that mean? Did, did Jesus' disciples not have good moms that taught them to wash their hands before they eat? What, what's going on here? Well, look, look at verse 3. Mark actually tells us what, what the big deal is here. The Jews capital J, that usually is a tip-off. We're talking about the Jewish leaders. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. And what they would do is they pull them up and let the water run down like they are surgeons or something. So you got the picture? This is but one of the many traditions they've clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. They're upset because they've got a rule about this. And these Pharisees—they love themselves some rules, right? They got a rule about this, and Jesus' disciples are not obeying it. it it's not a—it's not a hygiene rule. They didn't even know about germs back then. This is a religious rule, and they got lots of rules like this. You ever? You ever been somewhere where you run across an unwritten rule and nobody tells you the rule is there? You just kind of realize I've been getting the stink eye for a long time? Kind of like if you, you come into church and you're sitting here and somebody's looking at you and you realize, I think I just sat in somebody's spot. We don't do that here, do we? No. Kirsten and I, we're, we actually talk about this. We're going to go start sitting in everybody's because we know where you sit. We're going to sit in your seat one day just to make you mix things up. So Pharisees got a rule. You got a rule about what you do before you eat. You wash your hands. Is this a, a hygiene thing? No. See, here's the thinking. When you are out and about during your day, and you're a good religious person before God, you may touch people who are not good religious people, some people who are sinful. You may be in, in the grocery store, and you put your hand on something that a Gentile has touched, a person who doesn't even know God. How horrible would that be? Because their sin will get onto your hand, and then if you don't wash your hand before you eat, that sin from that sinful person will get into you, and now you're going to be a sinful person before God. Does this make sense to you? It made sense to them. All right, they got a rule about this. So, how does Jesus think about all this? Jesus just calls it like it is. Look at verse 6. You hypocrites, there's that word. Isaiah, that he's a prophet who preached before Jesus, 700 years before Jesus, his writings are in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied about you, and he was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, These people honor me with their lips. They talk a good religious game. But their hearts are far from me, God says. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And then Jesus turns and he looks at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says, You ignore God's law, and you substitute your own traditions in there where God's law should be. Now, Let's stop here and look at the word hypocrites because we immediately think of hypocrite as a bad thing. No one who listened to Jesus would have thought of a hypocrite as a bad thing. The word simply means an actor. They were very familiar with theater. They had theaters, Greek theaters, all over the place. A hypocrite was someone who was an actor on the stage. They didn't always have enough actors to play all the parts in the play, so one actor might play several parts. And how did you know which part they were playing? They put a mask up, so now I'm the banker. Okay, now I'm the father of the girl who's getting married, and you knew who they were by the mask they wore, and nobody ever really thought, "Oh, you're really who?" The, you know, we know that you're somebody else. You're putting up a mask, and we get it. It's Hollywood. You're an actor, and so when Jesus calls the Pharisees this, he's calling them Hollywood. He's calling the Pharisees, "You have this really good religious look, but you are a mask-wearing actor. It's not really who you are behind that religious mask." That facade that you put up that everybody believes, that you want everybody to think. You're not authentic on the inside. That's what he calls these Pharisees, which is probably really hard to hear for some people who've grown up believing that they are just, you know, this close to God. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. He's not pulling any punches at this point. Remember, he's been preaching and teaching for two years. He's just had enough of this game that people are playing. Verse 9, Jesus said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Let me give you an example. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. Does that sound familiar? Should, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. That's God's law. But you, Pharisees, say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you. I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. It's called Corbin. And in that way, you let people disregard their needy parents. Does this sound like a good plan to you? Does this sound like a good person to you, a good person who ignores their parents? So what's going on here? Jesus is talking about a, a practice the Jewish people had called Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N. What they would do is, maybe you had a piece of property, you had a house on the lake, or you had a big savings account, or you had you know, just something that was worth some money. You could call it Corbin and give it to God. My house on the lake and all the property and all the value that's there, I Corbin, I give it to God. Well, then what happens if your aging elderly parents have a need? They got, so what you're doing is you're going, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, I would love to help you because I know you got a lot of medical bills, I know you don't always have enough food, and I would, any other time I could have sold that lake house and used the money to help you, but I already gave it to God, and the rules say because I gave it to God, I can't sell it, I can't give it to anybody else, so sorry, Mom and Dad, hope you have a good day, though. No one really thought this all the way through. Nobody thought, how can I hose my parents and look good before other people, like I'm really generous? Oh, I know, we'll create this thing called Corbin. It was just the way it was, and people just accepted it until Jesus comes along and points out how hypocritical it is. You, you say that you love God, but you let your parents suffer because you gave something to God? Here's the nefarious thing about Corbin. You need to know this little loophole here. You could contribute something to God, and though you could not sell it, or give it to someone else? You didn't actually have to give it to God until you died. Therefore, you could use it for the rest of your life. You just couldn't sell it. So you can continue to go to the house on the lake. You can continue to use, you just have the security of that money and the savings. And so what you get is, I look like a really religious person. But in the end, you're really hurting your parents. Is God really thrilled by that? Yeah, you are a really good person. No, and Jesus is calling him on this. Verse 13, so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, and then Jesus says, this is just one example among many. I've I've been a Christian a long time, and I've seen a lot of brands of Christianity that they just didn't learn from what Jesus taught. I've heard some of the strangest, goofiest things taught as if this makes you a holy person, like, Oh, you should not play cards because cards are of the devil. You should not dance. You shouldn't listen to that rock and roll re- music with the devil backbeat. You, if your hair gets too long, there's obviously sin in your heart. Brian, get your hair cut today. Get right with God. <laughs> what does this have to do with this? I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. I'm, some of you are like, I, yeah, I had long hair at one point in my life. I'm sorry. Some of you are thinking, I don't think he should be our senior minister. <laughs> this is bad. You know what Jesus would say about that? Quit looking at stuff on the outside because it's not necessarily a reflection of what's here in your heart, right? C- you, you can take somebody who is a horrible person with long hair, cut their hair, and they'll still be a horrible person if nothing else changes. It starts in here. Verse 14, Jesus called the crowd. Everybody, come here. I want you to hear this. All you listen and try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out of your heart. Remember, this all started because the religious leaders are saying you've got to wash your hands so that the sin doesn't get into you. And so it's kind of like you've got sin cooties. Really? Is this really where we're at now that we're going to say that? No one understood, though, what Jesus was talking about. Like, it's what comes out of you, not what goes into you. So they're, like, all confused. I want you just to picture this. Not everybody thought Jesus was always right at the moment. I think the crowd was shocked. What they saw Jesus doing was basically, like, Jesus is yelling at my grandma and grandpa. He's yelling at my Sunday school teacher. He's yelling at these people that I've respected my entire life. And you see this when you get to Matthew. I'm going to jump out of Mark over to Matthew 15, 12, same account. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? See, they're still thinking of the Pharisees as good, godly people. The conventional wisdom of the day was, if there's anybody who's going to get to heaven, it would be the Pharisees. because Look how religious they are. Nobody recognized it until Jesus came along and pointed out the hypocrisy of all the things that they taught people. Nobody saw it. Right now, all they see is these really good, in their mind, people being attacked by Jesus. But it's, it's clear as day to Jesus what they're really like because he sees past the facade. He knows what's in a person's heart. He doesn't need anybody to tell him what you are like or what image you put forward, whether it's real or not. He knows, and he sees something in their hearts that's, that's, that's messed up that is corrupt. Go on to Matthew 15, 13, and 14. Jesus said, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. And he's talking to his disciples now. He says, ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall in a ditch. This is the first time, as far as I know, Jesus is explicitly telling people who follow him, do not listen to the Pharisees. Do not listen to the Jewish leaders. If you follow them, they will teach you to be a hypocrite like they are. If you follow them, they will take you further away from God, not toward him. If you follow him, these Pharisees, they will lead you straight to hell. That's exactly where they're headed. If you ever wonder why Jesus talked so strongly to the Pharisees, he loved Pharisees. You might get the idea that he hated them, but he didn't. He loved them, and he's giving these strong warnings to try to get some of them to wake up and see the danger of the way that they're living their life. You think you're so close to God, you couldn't be further from God. I'll put it this way, maybe this analogy will help something click for you. You know, my dad's been walking through a cancer journey, diagnosed last fall. Thank you all for praying, by the way. Uh, he's done with treatment tomorrow. Chemo was done last week, radiation tomorrow, so thank you for praying. He's doing great. I, I'm thankful for modern medicine, what they've been able to do. But can you imagine if we were at the Siteman Cancer Center and a new team of doctors walked in one day and said to my dad, hey, we've got a new regimen, we're going to try it on you. It's great, it works awesome for cancer, and here's what we do. And um, the lab assistants and the doctors come forward, and they put smiley face Band-Aids on my dad. There, you're done, you're cured, cancer's gone. See, no need to worry about it, we'll bill your insurance, you're good. Go ahead, no need to come back for chemo or radiation or any of that nasty stuff. I would be furious. Dad, do not listen to them. Happy face Band-Aids may make you smile, they will not cure cancer. Jesus is furious with these Pharisees because they're teachers of God's law. People listen to them for guidance about how to get to God, and they're putting happy face band-aids on people and telling them, this will make you a good person before God. And, and God himself standing there in the person of Jesus says, no, this is a sham. There's nothing authentic about this. This will not move you closer to God. We'll go on back to Mark. Go back to verse 17 in Mark chapter 7. Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd. His disciples followed him in, and they asked Jesus what he meant by that parable he just used. And then he says to them, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? You remember, wash your hands first. Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Thank you, Jesus, for that image. (laughs) By saying this, he declared every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. But then he added, it's what comes from inside you that defiles you for from within out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and and theft murder adultery greed you know wickedness and deceit lustful desires envy slander pride foolishness where does all that stuff start not out here it starts in here that's what defiles you there's something wrong with human beings choosers we choose the wrong things if you think like Where did that come from when you just explode or when you do something you think, oh, that's not at all like me? Well, that actually is like you. Sometimes in our most unguarded moments, we get a pretty disturbing image of what we're really like. It comes from in here, and this, Jesus says, is what defiles you. Let's look at what's at stake here. I want to bring this to us. I'm looking at all this religious activity the Pharisees taught people to do. Religious activity, whatever it is, it can make a person look good without actually being good. That's the danger of this. You're presenting this picture like, I carry my Bible, I go to church every week, I, I sing the songs, I listen to 99 Joy FM all the time. Well, that's great, but does that change anything about what's in your heart? And those things are good, but they don't really fix what's wrong if your heart is messed up, which leads me to the next thing. Religious activity really won't do anything to repair a corrupt heart, it's, it's, it's out here. I'm not saying some of these things are bad. They're, they're important things to do and they serve a, a good purpose. They don't get to the root of what's really wrong with us, though. What, what's going on with the Pharisees is something we all have to guard against. There's a danger we all face, and that is to, to do things that are good and then to develop a self righteous pride that says, I'm a good person because I do good things. It's not really how it works. I've just got a little bit of time left. I want to maybe give you a prescription for how to get real and authentic in your life and get on the other side of this. I think that there's some things that we can embrace from Jesus' teaching that are very important for us. You know, if what's wrong with you and me, if what's wrong with us that makes us do the wrong things and say the wrong things or not do the things we know we should is is our heart, I just want to point out to you that this is beyond our capacity to fix ourselves. You can no more repair your... Heart, you know, I'm talking about the spiritual heart. You get that, right? The part of us that makes our decisions and is the source of everything we think and do. You can no more fix that heart than you can do open-heart surgery on yourself. It's just not in your capacity to do that for yourself. You're going to need help, which is why I would say that you need to ask Jesus to change the condition of your heart. You need to ask him for his help. There's no other way that this is going to get fixed other than him. You've noticed in his story, we've been reading this for several weeks now and studying it. Have you noticed that there's a lot of things Jesus has absolutely no problem fixing? Like when Jesus encounters bad weather, what does he do? Stop it. And it stops. He encounters people who have horrible diseases. He has no problem fixing it immediately. He gets to a funeral, and there's a kid who's dead, and his mom is about to bury her only son. He says, come on up. And the kid wakes up, and he's alive again. He has no problem Casting out demons, they submit to his authority. Do you know who Jesus has a problem fixing? People who don't want his help. You tell me, how can God give you a free will and then force you to ask, accept his help? Those things are inconsistent. You can't. The only person Jesus ever cannot do something for is the person who will not ask him for help, submit to his lordship and his leadership. He can't do a thing for a Pharisee as long as they believe, I got this covered, Jesus, I don't need your help. I got my whole game going on here with my Corbin and with my hand washing and with honoring the Sabbath with all my rules. I'm good. I don't need you, Jesus. Jesus said, I can't do anything for you. And you can't fix this either. So you're in a world of hurt. We need to ask Jesus for help. I want you to know this too. You do not have to pretend to be something you're not in order to impress God. You don't have to pray the prayer the right way. You don't have to show up a certain number of times. You don't have to You know, just make all kinds of promises. God already knows what you're like. You know that, right? He not only knew what you were like before you were born, he knows all the things you're going to do that you don't even know you're going to do yet, and he already offers you salvation, knowing things you don't even know about yourself. You don't have to try to somehow get on his good side to get him to do this. He's already offered it. It's yours. It's a gift. Here's the great thing about gifts. As far as I know, when, when somebody offers you a gift, you just accept it. You don't try to earn it or try to pay him back. God offers you this gift to change your heart. There's a great verse toward the end of the Bible, Hebrews 10, 22. It says this, Let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. That's trust. Trust in Jesus. Having our hearts, our spiritual hearts, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Don't be afraid to come before God and ask Him for His help. And you say, well, I've already done that and I've blown it since then. Look, If you are a Christian, you need God's grace more than you ever have. Like, as Dallas Willard once said, a Christian goes through grace like a 747 goes through jet fuel. We're not running out of grace anytime soon. Ask him for help. You know, I, I I would ask you to get real with God. He already knows, but just get in the habit. Here's something else I'd encourage you to do. Drop your mask. Be appropriately real with the people around you. You don't have to pretend. That's one of the things I love about this connection family. I think this is a safe place where you can be who you are, and and people aren't going to judge you, and they're not going to tell you to leave. Authenticity is just being honest about who we are. Appropriately honest, you don't have to tell everybody everything, but you ought to tell somebody something, right? I hear this a lot, and I don't know what to do with it all the time. People say, well, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Okay, yeah, but where else are you going to go in the world where there aren't hypocrites? The world is full of hypocrites. You don't even have to be a religious person to be a hypocrite. If you say one thing and do another, you're a hypocrite. So I'm, no, I'm not surprised to go to church and see sinful people any more than I'm surprised to go to the, the hospital and see sick people. That's what you expect. It's a church. We're all admitting we're messed up, right? By, by being here, whether you know that or not, you are admitting that you're a mess and you can't do it on your own. We're here to ask for help. We just need to go ahead and take this next step and say, say it out loud. You know, I think what I would love to hear people say about Connection Christian Church is, yeah, there's some pretty messed up people there, but they're honest about it. (laughs) They're, They're trying to do something about it. They're asking God for help. We're just a bunch of struggling people here, by the grace of God, becoming something that we couldn't on our own, right? We're just asking God for help. I'm not trying to pretend to be better than I am. I'm trying to become better than I am, and so are you, I believe, but I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not going to try to hide my flaws from everybody so that you think I'm better than I really am. And I hope you don't feel like you have to do that either. This is a safe place to just be who you are because God's changing us. There is so much power in self-disclosure. Again, appropriate. You don't have to tell everybody everything. There's, there's people on the other end of the spectrum who probably should practice a little bit less transparency. But there's something powerful in a relationship when somebody says, I'm going to tell you something about myself that I'm not really proud of. And the other person can say, well, thank you for trusting me to tell me that, and I'm going to tell you something about me. And er- everybody in the room's like, wow, I'm not the only one. Like, Can you imagine being in life group, which, by the way, is an awesome place to, to be real. It's a small group of people that you can be friends with, and maybe you find a friend that you can be very honest with. Can you imagine being in life group, and uh, somebody speaks up and says, oh, we just have the most wonderful marriage. We never fight. Our kids love each other. They just always do kind things for each other, and it's just always amazing. And you're like, excuse me, I need to go throw up. (laughs) This is is not my life at all. But Can you imagine the same life group? Somebody speaks up, and you go like, I could really use your prayers because, you know, we got a teenager, and we don't know what to do. Like, honestly, our teenager scares us sometimes. And you're like, wow, it's not just me. And somebody else speaks up and goes, yeah, like we walked in, like like on our 11-year-old, and and she was on the computer, he was on the computer, and we saw, whoa, what is that? I've been married 15 years, I didn't even know that existed. It's a scary world. And somebody else speaks up and goes, yeah, we were on the way to church, and the two preschoolers were in the back, and we had a total meltdown. By the time we got to church, everybody was screaming at each other. Wouldn't you be like, I love this group, these people are like me, they're normal, they've got problems, everybody has this, we just all try to hide it. Let me just ask you to do something. Next time you're in a situation where you get a little hint that maybe this would be an appropriate time to share something about yourself, would you just stop and pray for five seconds? Would you just ask God, would you just ask the Holy Spirit of God to tell you, is this a time that I can be real? Is this a time where it's safe that I can share something about myself? You may find that there are so many. You may come to church and think, I'm the only messed up person here. I look around, everybody else has got it together, and everybody in the room's thinking the same thing. Would you just take the chance to, to drop your mask? We're all people who are needing God's help. This is, outside of this theater, the world is full of inauthenticity. There's people faking it all over the place. This should be the place where we were real with each other. And I'm going to invite you to do something. If you have never asked God for help before, what about today? Why not today? And I'd love to sit and talk with you about what you do to do that, but ask Jesus to change your heart from the inside out. And, And maybe today is the day that you start thinking about what would it be like to live my life, a little bit more transparently, to be a little more honest with my flaws and my shortcomings and the things that aren't always going right. Let me just pray for us and talk to God about all that right now. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for what Jesus taught. This uh, faking, it's just not working. And so many times we've seen religious people who've put on a good show and we, we thought that's what you wanted, but it doesn't ring true. And in the end, it's really not what you want from us. Thank you that you accept us as we are, I want to thank you, too, that you love us too much to leave us like we are, that you promise to change us and to change our hearts. God, I'm firmly clinging to the promise that you are going to change all of us one day, that we will be perfect the way that we are supposed to be. But this morning we're not, so I'm asking for your forgiveness for all of us. I'm asking for your help, and, and um, just help us to know the grace and the love that says no matter what, we're accepted. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.